Thank you, Brian, for those kind words of welcome. I'm not sure if all of them are kind, but some of them were, were kind and welcome. And um, We don't take it too personally that you kicked us out. So did everyone else. The sun has never quite set on the British Empire, but um, the reality is that Great Britain is not so great, and I would very much appreciate your prayers for our poor country as it um, descends rapidly into a post-Christian age, as your own country is doing. You're just a little bit behind us, catching up. Um, I bring you greetings from the church in London, Grace Life London, and it was such a blessing for us. Sometime, uh, when was it, Brian? March. Um, we, we did, am I right? We couldn't figure it out earlier, but March this year, Brian came and preached, and it was a, a real blessing. He just fitted into our pulpit and took the next subject in hand for us and was such a blessing to our church. It was such a blessing and encouragement to my heart to come here and to just see what the Lord is doing in your own church. You are blessed. You're blessed to have a, um, a sweet and gracious pastor and family. Lovely to get to know Brian and Tracy and their family some more in the last couple of days. Um, but really, it's encouraging my heart to see what the Lord is doing here in your church and in the Expositor Seminary on campus. What a joy to see God at work. Um, in our church, we've been working rather slowly through these early chapters of Genesis. We had the unexpected delight of, um, as we worked through the end of chapter 3, of discovering some amazing grace in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, right after the fall. And I have to admit, I wasn't expecting this as I studied. If, if you're blessed to be in a church where your pastor digs deep and goes slowly through the text, um, it, you, there, there's a great blessing in that. One of the problems that we experience is the reality that um, you can be in the same theme, in the same passage, in the same subject for a period of time, developing it and digging into it and and like Genesis chapter 3 or Romans 7, for instance, um, that, that can be a lot. It can be heavy at times. And that was the case for us as we worked through Genesis chapter 3. And then here I, I was expecting at the end of Genesis chapter 3 to go quickly through this, this closing paragraph. And I'd been spent a lot of time unpacking the fall and the implications of the curse and a whole series on the the, the practical implications for us. I did a series called The Genesis of Gender Issues in there. And it was really good, really, really good. But then we got to the end and I thought, okay, move on, speed up. We've got chapter four coming, but I started preparing to preach the end of chapter three and thought, no, there is something remarkable here. In the last verses, I was blown away by the grace of God on display right here in, in chapter 3. And I realized that God had something very special for our church at that point. I really hope, if the Lord will help me, um, it will be to give you some of that, and it will be as much of a blessing to you as it was to us. So if you want to find your way in Genesis to chapter 3 again, I, I want to see if I can 
share that blessing with you. I've tried to condense two messages I preached in our church into uh, just uh, on just uh, two verses into 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 one sermon at the end of chapter three. Let me read to you from verse twenty through to the end of the chapter, and then I'll pray. We'll get into our our sermon, which will be on verses twenty and twenty-one. Genesis chapter three, verse twenty. I don't speak American. So I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, Genesis 3 and verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Then therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are, as always, beggars in need of your grace and your mercy, and we pray that you would give us grace to see your grace. Open our eyes, Lord, that we would see wonderful things in your law. Give us hearts not just to see it, but to believe it not just to believe it, but to receive it and, and to, to act upon it. Lord, give us, Lord, give us that grace that would change us or transform us by the renewing of our minds. Please forgive us our sins. Open the eyes of the blind today, we pray. Save the lost today, we pray. Give hope to broken, sinful souls today, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you amazed by grace? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Are you, are you amazed at that grace? You should be, shouldn't you? Grace is amazing. Grace is undeserved mercy. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace, in terms of salvation, grace is personal salvation, you being saved by God, you being rescued by him, freely given, not earned, not merited, not deserved, as a gift, a gift to you from God, that's grace. Now, part of what amazes people about that is just the reality that we don't, we don't expect it because we don't deserve it. We don't feel like that's somehow right. And it's so surprising As I studied Genesis chapter 3, I was definitely not expecting the grace that I found on display in the verses I just read to you. If you look carefully enough, though, it's not just on display. There are some really profound lessons about God's grace right here in Genesis 3, verses 20 and just 21 even. Um, My plan for today, just so you're clear, is to work through... Genesis 3, 20 and 21, and I want to show you five lessons about grace 
that I believe come out of this text. Now, the first two are going to come in verse 20 when, when Adam is renaming his wife. And the first lesson is going to be, um, it's really the most basic lesson about grace. It's the reality that you, you have to believe in the grace of God for you. You have to believe in the grace of God for you. Look at verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, did you spot the grace of God in that? Maybe not. Maybe like me, you didn't see it at first sight, but you're going to see it. Uh, We we need to stop and think about this. Uh, What's going on, Adam, I believe, in this verse, Adam is believing in grace for himself. And I hope you're going to see that. Um, to, to get that, you have to think carefully about the context. That's good, isn't it? I, what I'd like to do is just to, 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 to look carefully at what's really obvious in the verse. We need to think carefully about what we can see. And then we'll dig a bit more deeply into the context. And when we do that, I'm hoping that you'll see what I see, which is that Adam is believing in grace in this verse. And let's get into it couple of things that are obvious, first of all, from the context, uh, obvious in the text, sorry, in the text itself, very obviously, what is Adam doing? Adam is renaming his wife, right? And you, you know that if you remember from chapter 2, verse 23, when Adam named her for the first time, it says, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of names. He's already given her one name. Now he's giving her another, another name. That's obvious. Okay, another obvious thing is that there's some significance in the meaning of the name Eve. And that's because of the word because. Did you see that? Because she was the mother of all living. That's why he called her Eve. You say, well, what's the connection? Well, the the, the Hebrew word for Eve is Hawa. Hawa is best understood to be an old version of the very common Hebrew word Haya, which means to live. Now, uh, it ties it together with what it says at the end of that verse, It says she was the mother of all, what, living. And the basic idea then in the root of the the name Eve is the idea of life. It's very interesting, actually, if you go back in time and look at the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that was made about 300 years before Christ. um, When they translated this section of Genesis, they didn't transliterate the the word Hawa into Greek, they translated it using the Greek word zoe, which means life. And and, and so what I'm saying is basically Eve means life. That's very simple. You say, cool, Tom, that's really, really good. I saw that in the footnote. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, maybe you got that already, but now sometimes you have to stop and think about the obvious things to see the significance. What is what is the significance of Adam renaming his wifey Lifey? And what's going on here? Actually, I'm saying it's a major moment in the history of humanity. God specifically chose to record this for us. He could have recorded anything. He, he chose to put this here for a purpose. And it's actually not obvious until you think about the context a little bit. So let's do that, shall we? Are you ready for that? Um, I think if you understand the, the meaning of Eve's name and then you look carefully at the context, you can see that Adam is actually motivated in naming her. He's motivated by grace. And uh, I'm saying that you can see then that in that, Adam is believing in grace. 
So let's, let's think about the context. Look at verse 19. The verse immediately before God, God has just been telling Adam, look at it, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. What's he talking about? Death, the inevitable, right? Ten out of ten people die. You and I are all going to die. God says to Adam, Adam, you're going to die. You're dust. You're going to return to dust. In the next verse, Adam renames his wife Elifey. What's going on? There's a bit of a kind of a shock contrast. What's happening here? Why not name her death? Why not name her curse? You, you, you know, in, in London, actually, we, we've got a, a whole different language. It's called English, right? Um, no, not that different language. What about the other different language, and specifically in London? Have you heard of Cockney rhyming slang? You maybe got a little bit of it watching Mary Poppins many years ago. That was an American actor trying to do a British accent badly. Um, <laughs> but in Cockney rhyming slang, uh, you don't put on your hat, you put on your, anyone know? Tip for tap. You don't go up the stairs, you go up the apple and pears. And you don't have a wife, you have your trouble and strife. Ouch. <laughs> and people are not always very kind when they rename people or give them a nickname, are they? I mean, like, she who must be obeyed. My, my other half. Well, that's kind of kind. My better half. That's kind of kind, isn't it? But Adam, why so gracious? Why so gracious? It only makes sense, actually, if you understand that Adam, at this point, is believing what God has been saying in the promises that he's just heard. You say, which promises? Well, the promises that God made whilst he was cursing them. You say, what promises whilst he was cursing them? Genesis 3.15. God God's spoke about Adam's wife. Genesis 3.15. God spoke about Adam's wife having offspring. There's the bit about the offspring of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. Hold on a moment. What's going on? This is amazing. Why is it amazing? Because on the day you shall eat thereof, you shall surely die. Right? And for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Adam, you're going to die. Adam's just heard God saying all of that. And a whole load of stuff about thorns and thistles and sweat and pain and more pain and strife in marriage. And... But hang on a minute. Adam's been listening. In the middle of the curse upon the serpent, Adam heard, Adam heard a promise of life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, he said to the serpent, God said to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. So hold on, there's going to be offspring, and that means life. But more than that, there's going to be, among the offspring, there's going to be a he, a singular offspring, a singular male offspring, who is going to bruise, that involves internal bleeding in a head, that's a crushing blow, he's going to crush the head of the serpent, that means life. That means redemption. How do you think Adam and Eve just thought about what the serpent had just done? This, how do you think they felt about, Adam felt about what Eve had just done? 
How do you think Adam felt about what he had just done? I mean, they had wrecked, literally, everything in the world had gone wrong because of what they'd done. Never say that, by the way. Never say to someone, you've wrecked everything, because Adam and Eve were the only people who ever did. <laughs> literally, it's all ruined because of them. They used to be happy. They used to be innocent. They had no shame. Now they're frightened, they're hiding, they're covering themselves, they're, they're trying to cover up their nakedness, and now they're like the naughty children are caught in front of the headmaster, and, or the children in front of the parents, listening to their parents give the speech. Did you get the speech when you were young? The talk? Spelling out what you've done wrong? Spelling out the consequences of... God is giving them that speech. And in that speech, the serpent is getting it, and then Eve is getting it, and then Adam's getting it, but Adam's been listening the whole time. Adam was listening when God was cursing the serpent, and what did he hear? He heard grace. He heard life. Did, did, they, did they deserve to have someone come and fix the mess that they'd created? Did they deserve a stay of execution long enough for them to live and have offspring? Did they deserve to have that one child who would one day come and, and crush the serpent's head? No, they deserved hell. They deserved to be rejected forever and face the penalty, or the full penalty, you would say, of their crime. But they just heard in the middle of it, curse, they'd heard grace, and Adam was listening, unmerited, unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. They'd heard about redemption, and what's more, they'd heard that the seed, somehow the seed, this seed was going to actually suffer in some way to achieve it. The, the, the heel of the, the seed was going to be bruised whilst he, he was crushing the serpent's head what do we call that? We call that the earliest form, the earliest expression of the good news in the Bible. It's called by theologians the Proto-Evangelion. It's, it's called the, the, the gospel in its earliest form. I believe Adam, I believe Adam was believing it. I believe, I believe he was believing that, which is why he renamed his, his wifey Lifey. Are you with me? Eve, Hawa, Zoe. Now think about it. Think about it. What do you think about that? I, I, I wonder what Adam would say. Would you like to talk with Adam? Um, I wonder what he would say if he was here. If we could invite him up now. Say, Adam, what would you tell the church? I think he'd say, church, listen. Life is, life is tough. After the fall, the fall is terrible. The consequences of the fall are are awful, shame is real, the curse is abominable, the pain is unbearable. But you've got to believe in grace. You've really got to believe in grace. If you don't believe in grace, it's, it's hopeless, it's dismal. God's grace is so amazing, and you have to have, you have, to have hope in that. That's our first lesson about grace. Um, 
It all actually starts here. If you don't have this, you don't have, you don't have a beginning in Christianity. Uh, can I just stop and ask you, um, I'm, I don't know you, but do, do you believe in grace? Do you? Do you believe in both the, the, the kindness and the severity of God? Do you, you, get the, you get the curse, right? You get the curse. You, you believe in hell. You believe in judgment. You say God is a holy, righteous God. But do you also believe in, in God's kindness, God's grace? Do you believe that God is gracious and compassionate? Do you believe He is a God of grace and that He's gracious to undeserving sinners like you and like me? Do you believe that? You have to believe that. You have to. I, I don't know you, as I say, but I'm sure in, this, in a room like this, there's someone here. And for you, when you think about God, it's all clouds and gloom. When you think about praying to God, when you think about coming to God, it's all cringe and hide. You need the ray of sunshine to come through those clouds. You need the light of the the, the, the gospel, the good news, the grace of God shining into your heart. And this is, this is it. Can I plead with you to listen to the promises of God in the Bible? That's what Adam was doing. That's where Adam saw grace. And he, when he saw grace in the promises, despite all the gloom, he believed it. And believing, he had hope. And that's why he could name his wifey lifey. Are you with me? You've got to have that. Now, secondly, um, in, in all, you, you've got to have that as your starting point, number one. Well, secondly, that's got to change you. And number two is you, you, you've got to not only be believing in God's grace, but you've got to be responding. You've got to be responding in grace to others. And that's what I believe we get to see Adam do here. This is our second lesson about grace. You, you have to respond with grace to other sinners in your life. And so what we see Adam do, verse 20, when he renames his wife, life. Think about it. Just think about it. Adam, what's Adam doing? How is Adam responding in grace? Well, I think you just have to ask the question, how did Adam feel about Eve right now? We know because just a few verses earlier in chapter 3, verses 7 to 13, it was a very short while ago, don't know how long, but Adam was blaming everyone apart from Adam, right? You know people like this? Is that you? One epic sentence, Adam manages to blame Eve and God. Have you eaten of the fruit of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat, says God? And in verse 12, Adam says, it was her. <laughs> And it was you, you gave her to me, the woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. <laughs> Final admission at the end. Now, I preached three sermons when I preached through this on, on, on blame shifting. Blame shifting is a terrible condition, isn't it? It's actually a, an ophthalmic condition. It affects your eyes. Um, it makes you unable to see your own reflection in a mirror. It makes you unable to see the dirt on your own hands. It can't, you can't see a log in your own eye. But you have amazing eyesight to be able to see other people's problems. 
Is that you? Could, could that be you today? The problem is if it was you, you'd be probably almost blind to it. So can I ask you again, be honest, we're in church, right? Could that be you? Somehow you, if this is you, somehow you managed to see your own sins as if they're actually somebody else's fault. I don't have time to go into it, but my point is really here just to simply remind you that just a moment ago, Adam was doing that to Eve. He was not feeling too good about this woman whom God had given him. But now, hang on, what's changed? What's changed for Adam? This is what has to change for you. Adam started believing in grace for himself. Adam has been has been seeing God's grace to him. Adam's been believing in grace. And now instead of blaming his woman, he's renaming his woman. And isn't it a wonderful name he's got for her? I am saying it's a name full of hope. This is a name full of, well, it's a name full of promise. It's a name life. And I'm saying it's a name full of grace. And it's Adam's grace now to Eve. Isn't that good? Yes, she had actually sinned first. She started it, right? Yes, she'd given him the fruit. He's not bringing that up. Her name is not tempted or temptress. Her name is not unfaithful or failure. It's not even woman anymore. Her name is life. Her name isn't all about where she came from. Her name is about what is going to come from her. I mean, isn't that, isn't that glorious? This is, this is hope in a name. Uh, and this is Adam believing in grace. But now Adam isn't just believing in grace. Adam is giving grace. He's giving grace to his wife. Do you believe me? He's responding in grace. Now, that's not easy, is it? Is it easy? When I was repa- uh, preparing to preach this message and in the morning I was going to preach the message in our own church, let's just say in the morning things didn't go right in our home. Does that happen in your home on the way to church? Uncanny, isn't it? Um, I didn't respond well to my wife. In a moment, with a pained look on her face, she looked at me she said, Tom, could you give me some grace? She had no idea what I was about to preach, and I was like, ouch! Oh, God! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, I can give you grace. <laughs> I'm about to preach about it. You just gave me my illustration. Thank you. <laughs> um, but she, it's painful, isn't it? We... We have to do this. Is, are, you, are you someone who has failed to give the grace that's been given to you? There, there's a lesson to, for us here, isn't there? You, you, how do you respond when other people sin against you? It's responding like this starts by believing in grace for you, undeserved mercy, right? But then also it begins with believing in the possibility of grace for them. They don't deserve it. Yes, they've sinned against you. But grace is not deserved. Grace is undeserved mercy. 
Could you give them undeserved mercy? Will God give them undeserved mercy? Is this person a brother or a sister in Christ? Well, God would give them grace, won't you? Are you willing to give grace? Are you the opposite? Do you manage to blame everything on another person? You started it. Please, learn something from Adam right now, okay? Yes, Eve started it. Adam restarted it, didn't he? He restarted it differently, and you can restart it differently. Like Adam, Adam renamed his wife with grace in his heart towards her. And you say, that should be easy for us as Christians. Christ died on the cross for our sins. But it's not, is it? It's not easy. Because our default setting is not grace. Our default setting is you've got to earn it, woman. You've got to deserve it, woman. And I'm not going to give it to you until you deserve it. So can I plead with you to to be a, a grace giver? Freely you've received freely give. And it starts, obviously, by believing that you need grace. Do you see yourself, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me? Do you believe that you're a wretch? Do you? Is your wife a wretch? Is your husband a wretch? Is that person who did that to you, are they a wretch? Are they a wretched sinner? Is there not any grace for them? Is there not hope for them? Yes, there is. They have the same hope that you have in Christ, right? Believe it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So they've sinned. They're wretched sinners. Next time you are tempted to say you started it, stop. Stop right there. Instead of that, look in the mirror, go to the bathroom, take take five, look in the mirror, and say, you wretch. Give them grace. Maybe write it on your bathroom mirror. Look, maybe don't if, you, if your wife's going to think you wrote it. <laughs> Point is, you've got to quit being a blame shifter, right? How about starting out as a grace shifter today? How about that? Okay, that was two lessons from the moment when Adam renamed Eve. We've got such a lot, I need to just keep going. You ready for this? Should we keep going? Just in the rest of the chapter, we get to see Adam and Eve now not just believing in grace and not just responding in grace, but but they're actually experiencing grace for themselves. And as we see that, we're going to learn a lot about God's grace and we're going to maybe get some helpful pointers as to what it would look like for us to act in grace towards others if we copy his grace. So there's some great lessons. Three more in verse 21. I'm just going to have to confine myself to that. Uh, The rest of the chapter will have to go. So verse 21, our third lesson here is that grace, grace is very practical, practical. Write that down, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothe them. Grace is not just an attitude. Grace is very practical. It's undeserved mercy, undeserved favor. It's always going to come out, isn't it? Mercy and favor are something that are in the heart of God, but it comes out here as an action 
And the action is very practical. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments. Now, can you, can you just get how amazing this is? Again, you just have to stop. That's why we keep telling you, stop and read the context. Always read the context. Stop and think. Study carefully. They just sinned. They just sinned terribly. They'd been eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and because of that, they now knew all about good and evil. They didn't know all about it, but they knew, they knew it. Previously, you'd say they'd been in a state of genuine innocence, right? Genuine, absolute innocence. They, they, had, they were naked, it says at the end of chapter 2, but they were not ashamed. Now they've come to the point where they're capable of knowing good and evil, and maybe you'd say they hadn't had much time at this point, uh, not, not much time to do anything, but it doesn't actually take long, does it? You, you know about good and evil. You can sin in your mind in a second, can't you? Your mind can go places you never wanted it to go, and you can find yourself blushing with shame just because of the, the sinful thoughts that crop up in your mind that knows good and evil. They now were having that kind of knowledge in in every area of life. That would include the areas connected with nakedness, the areas connected with sex, and uh, they knew the possibility of doing evil in that area. And and so now here they are, deeply ashamed sewing fig leaves together to make for themselves loincloths to cover the areas of their body connected with sex, connected with, with their, their, the, the sin of, involved with nakedness. And now they're hiding from God because they're ashamed. And all because of this knowledge of good and evil now in their, in their minds. And I want to just now back up and point out something truly amazing about God. All right, here are two very sinful individuals. They, they totally disobeyed God. They've literally wrecked everything. God has been giving them the talk. He's just said some amazing and terrifying things, amazing promises, terrifying consequences for sin. And, and then we get Adam believing in grace and, and responding in grace. But now this is even more amazing because... Look, you and I have sinned terribly, and you and I, um, you and I, have this experience of being guilty before God. But do you ever, you ever really wonder, has God truly forgiven me when I believed in Jesus, when I repented of my sins, when I put my trust in Jesus dying on the cross for my sins? Has has the has God actually forgiven me? I mean. I know I've seriously offended him. Will God really put that aside? Will he? Will will God say that's done? Well, listen, all you have to do now is come for a moment with me and look at this. You watch God making clothes, and what do you think Adam and Eve are thinking whilst they're watching God making them clothes? I mean, why would God do that? Why wouldn't God rub, his no- rub their noses in their sin? H- have people offended you before? Did you feel like doing something to help them feel less bad about their sin? Did you? Or did you secretly say, go on, squirm a little bit. That's good. 
you're going red in the face. You should, yeah, you deserve that. When someone began to explain to you and they're stuttering and spluttering and they don't know, are you, are you secretly pleased? This is amazing grace, isn't it? This is so practical. They rejected God's authority. Eve was deceived, not Adam. They'd chosen the knowledge of good and evil over the knowledge of God. And now they're deeply ashamed and frightened and God is making them clothes. God is making them clothes. He's making them clothes to cover their shame. He's also making them clothes to do something very practical for them in a world full of thorns and thistles. Fig leaves don't cut it when you're trying to cut thorns and thistles, do they? That's not, that's not going to work. And God is saying, no, you're going to need skins. And you're going to need some leather. But just, okay, back up and think, this is, this is very practical demonstration of an amazing attitude of grace. Do you believe that? Do you, do you agree? Would you say with me, God is not grudging? God is not sparing in grace. God isn't stingy. God isn't, God isn't in any way holding back. This is lavish grace. Lavish grace. And you know this because it's so practical. Because you can see grace in action here. I think as they watched, as they watched God stitching their clothes together, I think God is breaking their hearts, isn't he? Wouldn't, wouldn't your heart be broken at this point? And at the same time, mending it with this amazing reality, God cares for me. God cares for me. And think about it some more. Don't, don't you think this is a little too soon? Do you, do you get that feeling? You, you know what this is like. You've sinned and you, you're feeling terribly guilty about your sin and so you come to God and if, you, if you're a believer, if you're... If you're saved, you come to God, you, you, you're like 1 John chapter 1, I remember this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe the good news, I believe that Jesus died for my cr- sins on the cross. I'm going to go to God, I'm going to confess my sins, so you go and you confess your sins. And then you're like, well, okay, technically I suppose I'm forgiven now. Technically I've, I've done... I've gone to God through the sacrifice of Jesus. I've asked for that foot washing for my sins. So I, I guess I'm, I'm clean, am I? And then you think about something you need. And you're like, I'd like to pray for that. But isn't it a bit too soon? Listen, friend, you don't understand the amazing grace of God. You don't understand it. Come here and watch God providing for their needs. Their needs. They just wrecked everything. They sinned against the light more than you and I can ever do. And here, the, here, they, here is God. I believe they're believing in grace. I believe they've received... They, they, I believe they've, 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 um, they've, they've understood grace in the promise, and now God is clothing them and providing for their needs. Does God care about you? Yes, God cares. He made, them, he made them clothes. He made them garments. Now, let me ask you another question. Um, 
Do you want to show this kind of grace to the people in your life who sin against you? What would it look like? Are they ashamed? Are they hiding? Are they reluctant to be with you? Are they embarrassed? What if you show them grace? What if, what if they can see the, the attitude of grace that's in your heart by something you do for them? Could that help? I, I, I think that's profound, isn't it? Now, we must move on, but it, it, it's actually going to get even more amazing. Um, our fourth lesson about grace here, what exactly is it? Next, what exactly is it that the garments were made from? Tell me. What did God make the garments from? Garments of skins. Skins. The fourth lesson about grace is that grace is costly. Costly. Adam and Eve, yes, God cares God cares about you, not just enough to provide for what you need, not just to actually practically make what you need. God cares enough to kill, to cover you. Think about what was happening here. These are the first ever deaths in the history of the planet. God took some animals, and he he must have killed them. I don't believe, you want to disagree with me, I don't believe God would have skinned them alive. God would have killed them. And then he had to cure the hides. Maybe he did that quickly. Maybe this was a prolonged process and he taught Adam and Eve how to do it. I don't know. But God's making them clothes. There's no indication of the timing here. But don't you think when the the life drained out of the eyes of those animals, when the blood was spilled on the ground, don't you think everything inside Adam and Eve was crying out, No! If you have a heart and you see an animal die for the first time, everything inside you cries out, No! If everything inside you cries out, Yes, go speak to your pastor. You need some help. Death is horrible. Death is wrong. I believe Adam and Eve were watching that animal die and they were saying, that's my fault. It's my sin that's made this happen. That, that should be me. I should suffer. They sh- those animals shouldn't die instead of me. And God is like, right, yes, it's your sin. It's your fault. But I love you enough to make the clothes for you myself, yes, but I love you enough to kill to make the clothes for you. I'm willing to pay the cost. I'm willing to take the lives of these, my animals that I've created, and I'm willing to do that to cover your shame and to cover your fragility in a world full of thorns and thistles. Now, do you think God was teaching them something when he was doing that? I do. I I believe this was the first ever sacrifice. I believe there was a massive lesson here. The life of an animal, or animals, it says skins. The life of some animals, blood shed in order to provide a covering for their shame. Even some relief from the curse. I think that's, that's in there. That's an amazing lesson going on. I think God is telling them that he's willing 
to provide, to, to, he's willing to pay the cost it takes to cover them. And, and the cost to cover not just their bodies, but to truly cover our sin and our shame, that cost is high, isn't it? You know, one day what God was going to teach the world, that God loved the world, so loved the world, in this way God loved the world that he gave his one and only son. John the Baptist would point at Jesus one day and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God was, was, I believe, teaching in the earliest form that he's willing to pay the cost to die, to die in our place, to die for our sin, to die to cover our shame. God is willing to pay the cost. And grace to us is free, isn't it? It's undeserved mercy. It's personal salvation. Freely given as a gift. Justification as a gift. Unimaginably free. But it wasn't free to God, was it? There had to be a death. There had to be a price paid. And Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it at the cross. God's grace is so amazing because it's so costly, isn't it? None of us could pay the price. Practical, yes, it's costly. By the way, um, you want to give someone grace? You do? You see that person that sinned against you and you contemplate giving them grace? What's the thing that pops into your mind? Well, that's going to cost That's going to cost me. Are you hesitating to pay the cost? You, with the the little cost that you have to pay, are you hesitating? This is the point. It will cost you. Grace is costly. Jesus did say that we should love one another, what? As he has loved us. Husbands, love your wives as God. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're supposed to be willing to lay down our lives for one another, are we not? That's what Jesus said. You and I are supposed to be willing to give grace, and it comes at personal cost, but, but we should, should we hesitate at that? Now, I must move on. Lastly, um, I think this last point is even more amazing, if that's possible, to be more amazing than, than that. I I think the fifth lesson about God's grace here is so wonderful because grace is, we get to see grace is so, so very personal, personal. And I'm getting this from the fact that in verse 21 it says he made them garments of skin, but then it says, and he clothed them. He clothed them. The legacy standard Bible puts the he back where it should be. Um, it's not there in the NASB or the ESV, but it's there in the Hebrew. Can you see this? Who is, who is the he that is clothing them, dressing them in the garden? Who's, who's putting the clothes on Adam and Eve? We say, it was God, right? Yes, of course. But which person in, the, in God, which person in God, in the Godhead, as it were, which person... Are we talking about here? Is it, is it God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son? 
Who was it that they heard walking in the garden in the cool of the day? Who had just been asking them all these questions? Was it the invisible spirit? Was it God the Father, whom the Bible says no man has ever seen? Was it God the Son in the pre-incarnate form? Who's, who's dressing Adam and Eve now? Who killed the animals? Who's making the clothes? Who's, who's now telling them, come here, put your arm through here. Put your arm through here. Let me just put this over your head. This is, this is personal, isn't it? Have you ever been dressed by someone? It's very, very personal. It's very humbling. I want to say this is amazing grace, isn't it? This is, God, I don't, I believe it was God the Son. I, God, God the Son, I don't believe, is this, I don't believe it's, I can be dogmatic, but I believe it. I, 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 I believe God the Son is saying, come here, let me, let me put this on you. He's not saying, here you go, here's your clothes, now get out of here. That's not it, is it? This is personal care by the one who personally is one day going to pay the cost to be able to cover their shame and their sin forever and ever. And listen, believer, do you believe today, right now, sitting where you are, do you believe Jesus died on the cross for you? Do you believe that? Are you ever tempted to doubt that God really cares for you? You heard the answer to that, don't, didn't you? When it says God made them clothes. He cares for you. He cares for your needs. Now, now, let's take it further. Are you ever tempted to doubt that God really wants you? Because does God want you near him? Does God want you close to him? You feel your shame? You sin? You feel your guilt? Do you feel God must just simply want you gone? Out of here? Out of his sight? Now, can you hear the, can you hear the answer to that doubt in these words when it says, and he clothed them. I'm so grateful for the Legacy Standard Bible putting the he back where it belongs. It's there in the Hebrew. It belongs in the text. He clothed them. This is personal. No, you don't deserve it, do you? No, you you don't deserve to be welcomed. You do deserve to be pushed out, to be rejected to be shoved out of God's presence, to be told to shove off, pushed away because of your shame and your guilt. That's what you deserve, right? But what is grace? Unmerited favor. Undeserved mercy. This is the amazing grace of God. He can take wretched rebels and instead of shoving them away, he can draw near to them. Draw near to them. And personally, here's Adam, here's Eve. They ruined the world. And God is personally dressing them. He doesn't want them gone. 
Uh, okay, I, I do know what's coming next, by the way. I have read the rest of chapter 3, just in case you're saying, hold on a minute, didn't he just kick them out of the Garden of Eden? Isn't that the next verse? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. Actually, I, I th- I'm going to say I, I won't preach it because we don't have time, but that, even that's an act of grace. Um, if they stayed in the garden, they'd eat of, of the fruit of the tree of life and they'd be stuck, wouldn't they, forever in their fallen, sinful human bodies... They need to die in order to get the grace of God to resurrect them in glorified bodies so that God can have them back in paradise. What did Jesus say to the dying thief? Today you will be with me in paradise. He said the garden. That's what paradise means. God doesn't want you gone. God actually wants you near him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, says James. This is grace, isn't it? And here it is in the garden. So, so, are you amazed? This is amazing grace in the garden, isn't it? Now we're done, um, but can I ask you, just as we close, are you, are you learning from this? Are you, are you, are you learning? Don't, don't you love God for his grace? We got to see Adam, first of all, believing in grace. Can I ask you again, do you believe in grace for you? Are you still hoping somehow that you will be acceptable to God because of your own achieved righteousness? Are you still hoping to earn favor with God? Listen, friend, you've got it all wrong. The only way to be saved is by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, not by works, not by works. You cannot earn salvation. It's unmerited, undeserved favor, kindness. It's, it's personal salvation freely given as a gift. As a gift. If you're still hoping to earn it, You're trying to achieve righteousness yourself. You'll go to hell trying to achieve that. You will fail because you're a sinner, just like Adam and Eve. You need to repent today of of trying to earn your way, give up trying to achieve, and simply believe in the grace that comes through Christ, in the gift of God, the salvation that's, that's free, I want to plead with you to, to believe today and to go away rejoicing that it's free and you can have it today as a gift. Now, if you do, if you're believing that, listen, you've got to start responding to other people in grace, haven't you? We saw that in Adam. Are you doing that today? Are you? What would it look like to give someone grace? Well, it would look what would it look like for you to be a grace a grace shifter instead of a blame shifter? Well, it would look like this, wouldn't it? It would, it would look very practical. It would look like you doing things for other people that show them an attitude of grace in your heart for them. It would, look, it would be very costly. Just like it cost God, it's going to cost us. And it'll be very personal. It's going to mean that instead of... Um, 
instead of harshly pushing people away, you finally treat them with grace. Father, we pray that that would be true of every single one of us. And that you and your goodness and your kindness and your mercy would allow us to be those who believe in grace, who receive it, experience it for ourselves, and then give it freely to others. We praise you for your grace. We love you because of your grace. We ask you to enable us to demonstrate it and to have that heart ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.